Today on the Life Well Live podcast, we're talking about how to heal completely. Because cancer affects you in so many different ways, you really can't heal completely unless you've healed in all those ways. So besides the physical, we're talking about mental, emotional, and spiritual healing. And of course, that comes at a great time with the holidays here. We're just coming off of Thanksgiving and Christmas is just around the corner and New Year's is right behind it. And with all these holidays, we're talking about how to make them meaningful when maybe you're not feeling up to doing your usual thing. Hey there, and welcome. I'm your host, Regina Topolson, registered dietitian, plant-based foodie, amateur athlete, mom of teenage boys, and one lucky girl, cancer survivor, and host of the Life Well Lived podcast. Living through cancer seemed like the hard part until I had to learn how to live after. We all want to feel healthy and safe and know that our life has meaning and purpose. If you're a patient, survivor, or caretaker, this is the place to find hope and inspiration through life's great disruptor and learn to live more fully today. Today on the Life Will Live podcast, I have Melissa Rosen, who is director of a training and education for Char Sherritt. I just want to say hi, Melissa. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure. I'm so excited. What is Char Sherritt? What does the name mean? It's, it's very different. Right. Char Sherritt is actually the Hebrew word for chain, as in we are all links in the chain of support when someone is facing cancer. We all can play a role in supporting that person. And that's, in fact, what Char Sherrod does. We're a national nonprofit organization that provides free psychosocial or emotional support to women and families impacted by breast cancer or ovarian cancer or someone who carries a mutation and therefore is at higher diagnostic risk. Mm. Okay. And so tell me what you do for Sharsherit. So in my role, I, I do a lot of training and educating, as my title would, would assume. I train healthcare providers on providing cu- culturally competent cancer care, which means that as, as cancer patients, we don't want to be seen as our diagnosis. We want to be seen as people, unique individual people who happen to have a diagnosis. And it turns out that study after study has shown that patients whose non-medical needs are met, that could be finances, that could be childcare, that could be emotional support, that could be cultural nuances, those patients who have those type of needs met actually have better medical outcome as a whole. So, so that's the kind of thing that Charcheret provides. We know that cancer is a physical experience, but it's also an emotional experience. And for many, a spiritual experience as well. You know, we're dealing with life-changing diagnoses. And so that, that 
can certainly foster a lot of spiritual questions too. Yeah, I agree. It's not just physical. Yeah, it's, exactly. it's, it's mental, it's emotional, it's spiritual, it's all of it. it. Right. Yeah. And so it stands to reason that if the experience of cancer is all of those things, healing from that experience would incorporate all of those things as well. So I talk to healthcare providers about that kind of stuff. I actually also talk to um, to Jewish professionals about how, and actually clergy across the board, um, chaplains in hospitals about how to best support members of their community facing a cancer diagnosis. So I do training sort of on both ends. I educate the clergy about cancer. I educate the doctors about culture and religion and how that impacts a cancer diagnosis. And that way everybody's dealing with the full person and not just the diagnosis itself. Yeah. And when you say you um, educate on culturally competent care, um, cancer care, uh, is that just for Jewish women? No. So uh, the training, we do several trainings, but our basic training is in fact called the impact of culturally competent cancer care. And I happen to use an example of a Jewish woman going through breast cancer, but at the start and at the finish, we talk about the importance of culturally nuanced cancer care for everyone. Everybody deserves that. And throughout the middle, when I'm giving an example that happens to be a Jewish woman, I'll explain how if you change this word or flip that around, it likely affects or impacts other communities, whether that's, you know, Muslim or LGBT or Latinx or any other community. Everybody has these nuances, have, has a full life around them that can intersect with a cancer diagnosis. So true, 100%. We have a full life around whatever it is that we identify exactly. as or with or, you know, whatever. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Yeah. So because we're talking about this at this time of year, when, you know, we're kind of knee deep in holidays and family and stress and <laughs> sometimes, you know, some families are like fantastic, right? You get together, everybody's cool and chill and like you do your own thing, whatever. I think most of the time when the holidays roll around, people just get like all like kind of buzzing a little bit, right? With like, ner- like nervous energy, right? Because family interactions don't always go well. <laughs> so a lot of history there. So, <laughs> Yeah, lots of history and yeah, right. Who can say? And a a diagnosis like cancer can actually feed into that. Listen, you know, when I was a young adult, it surprised me when somebody pointed out that even good events, happy events actually cause stress on your body. Um, And that, (laughs) and, and so it stands to reason that getting together for the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever, New Year's, whatever it is, and, and having a recent diagnosis or being in the middle of treatment or having just finished can certainly add to the mix. I mean, first of all, there's the, perspe- the patient's perspective, the person's own perspective. They may be feeling anxious depending on where they are. They've hidden a diagnosis from some people and don't want them to know. Or, or even if it's not a, a secret, 
they don't want it to be the focus of the family gathering. And so they're anxious about that. They don't want anybody to point out the changes in their physicality. They want this to just be like usual because that's what they need. Um, That's part of their healing process. Um, And depending, you know, unfortunately for those who have been struggling a long time and may not be doing well, there's the added anxiety, wondering, can this be everything I want it to be? Will this be the last time it happens? Um, and, And so that adds to it. And then there's what's going on with the family. The family, you're right, you said it, some families can just be cool and hang out and seem to instinctively know what people need. And others, out of an abundance of love and caring, <laughs> can, can feel overwhelming, right? Have you done this? Did you try that? I think you should put on some extra makeup to cover the fact that you're pale. We want you to look your best. Whatever it is, it can feel overwhelming. Wait, do people really say that? Oh, you'd be amazed at the things that people say. <laughs> I probably um, wouldn't because, you know, people have said some really, really crazy things. And I love when I talk to cancer survivors and or, you know, their family members in some cases. And they always say, you know, like platitudes or, you know, call if you need anything. I mean, and you know, they have like the best intentions, right? But they just don't know what to say. And they don't know how to anticipate like to say, you know, I'll bring you a pot of soup. Is that, you know, like I'm making a pot of soup. Like I want to bring you a cup of soup or, or, you know, like whatever, like, so people just don't know what to do. But then I've also heard like really crazy things. Like my neighbor had, you know, you know, in the last state that I lived in had breast cancer and she smothered herself every single day in honey. And that, (laughs) and not just any honey, honey. You know, there's a whole other presentation we do, because the other thing I do is educate communities. And there's a whole other presentation we do about how to best care for someone or support someone facing cancer. And I start off that presentation with, you know, we think that supporting someone is instinctive, right? You love someone, you want to support them. It should be obvious what to do. But let me tell you, as a two-time cancer survivor myself, I can tell you it is not instinctive. The things that people do, the things that people say, they're so ridiculous in in the circumstance. And so you need to be trained on how to support people. And, you know, yes, it's always saying something. You say people don't know what to say. So they they ignore it. They don't say anything or or they say something silly, which turns out to be hurtful. Mm. You know, if you don't know what to say, you can just say I don't know what to say, but I'm thinking of you, right? It's as simple as that. Um, but but sometimes even for those who really know what they should or shouldn't be doing, family members, you know, sisters, mothers, whatever it is, they think, yeah, yeah, I know, but I'm your mom. I, I could tell you if you're pale and you need a little, you know, blush. I could tell you, right? Things like that. So, and it is out of love and, and they'll just want to be able to do something. You know, I sometimes think it's harder for those around us than it is for those who are going through treatment. Yeah. So funny. I was just about to say that, you know, the more that I think on that comment, I'm like, that comment sounds like something that you probably heard yourself, like very innately. 
<laughs> oh yes. Oh yes. <laughs> you really oh, want to leave so your hair like that? Maybe a little clip right here. Or, or I know it's not a lot, but you could probably put a bobby pin there. It would look better or whatever it is. Yes, we hear the silliest <laughs> things that people, you know, nobody does it maliciously, but no. um, but they don't know. They don't know the impact it can have when we're already so aware of every single change that's happening in our body and so nervous about it and self-conscious about the way we present, which is, of course, part of what dignity is, the way we present ourselves to the world. And so we may be feeling not as well, you know, and not as dignified as we normally do. So even a well-meaning comment hurts more than it should. So yeah. So, so what do you do? You know, we talked about the problems about, you know, the person who's facing cancer going in with extra anxiety and maybe not energy to help as much as they would have in the past. And we talked about parents or other family members who are just a little over helpful. (laughs) Um, and, And so there are a few things that can be done. So one is to prepare ahead of time and to let the right people know that you're feeling a little bit sensitive and you really don't want what's going on in your life to take over the holiday celebration, which should be joyful for everybody. So let's try and table it. And that does get rid of some of it. And you also prepare yourself by just knowing some of it's going to come your way. And, you know, one of my colleagues here at Sharsheret, she, she says, that's when the bobblehead comes into play. Just smile and go, you know, nod, nod, nod. And that's, and, and that's it. And, and do your best to just move on and change the subject. Enlist a partner. If you've come with a partner or a teenage, a teenage child, enlist them to be savvy and changing topics and things like that. Mm. Um, And just remember most of the chaos is out of love. Yeah. You said a couple things that um, really struck a chord with me. And one of them was hiding the diagnosis, right? So that kind of strikes a chord with me because I, you know, I know, I know my parents knew I talked to my parents and they were an integral part of my recovery and and treatment. And they were always by my side. Um, But we hid the diagnosis from my grandparents. And at the time I had three grandparents alive. Um, and now I only have one. Um, but we hid the diagnosis and because, well, first of all, my, my background is I'm I'm from Russia. So, you know, of Russian descent and, um, you really didn't talk about cancer. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's the thing that you, you whispered. And if someone had it, it was like a definite death sentence, you know? And so um, you just didn't talk about it, you know? And, and I just remember that whenever uh, someone in my family did hear about someone in the community having it, it, it was like, you know, the worst thing in the world. And all of a sudden the Kanainaharas and the Pupapua started flying all over the place, right? <laughs> you know, Kanainahara, like, you know, and like, and all the knocking and like all the, I was like, oh my God, what's happening? A hundred percent. Yeah. So it was like that. So we hid the diagnosis, but also because one of my grandmothers at the time, so one, so my dad's mom was living in a nursing home already at that time. Um, and my, my mom's mom was still in her own home with my grandfather. 
And we knew that if we, A, told her, well, my, we were afraid, we didn't know anything. That's the truth. We didn't know anything, but we were afraid that if we told her, number one, she would want to attach herself to my hip. And number two, um, that she would be so nervous about, you know, what's happening that we didn't know how she would be able to handle it, you know, and, you know, she, she was at a very ripe age, you know, in her eighties. Okay. So we, we just didn't know what, how that would, you know, I didn't want to be responsible for an early death, you know what I mean? From stress or anything else. So we just didn't tell them. Um, the other thing was to not want to be the focus. And of course, during family holidays, you don't want to be the focus. Um, but I, I struggle with both of those things because, because I hid it, I didn't seek out friends or other women who were diagnosed at the same time. And I don't want to say I was a martyr, but I, I do want to say that I was very lonely. I felt very alone going through it. And I was very lonely going through it. And I didn't, um, I didn't seek out anyone. I didn't seek out people online. I didn't seek out groups online. I didn't, I knew about Char Sherrett, um, but it, you know, in, in Denver where I am, there is not a very, very strong Char Sherrett stakehold, right? So that really wasn't an option for me. And so I felt like I went through it just basically by myself. It must have been very difficult. Yeah. And so, you know, sometimes I did feel like the focus. I mean, a lot of times I felt like the focus because it was like, oh, the guest of honor has arrived. Okay. Let's get a chair. Let's sit the, you know, and like, okay, what do we need to do for her? Right. Okay. So there was that, but then there was this like hidden diagnosis thing where I worked through the whole thing, you know, different, different people handle cancer very differently. I was able to schedule my treatments in a time frame so that like my worst times would be on the weekends. And then Monday morning, I'd be snap at it right back. At work, you know? <laughs> and so, yeah. but I also but didn't want to be the focus at work, you know, so I hit it from and and, and I should mention, I should preface. Um, I worked at a hospital um, as a registered dietitian. I worked at, at a hospital at the time, right? So um, my immediate coworkers, my other fellow dietitians knew, and there was only a handful. And my manager, of course, knew. But the doctors I worked with, the nurses I worked with, the dietetic staff, if you will, you know, the, the, the people who worked in the kitchen, the people who worked in the diet office, who were taking the phone calls and saying, what would you like to eat today for lunch? You know, nobody else knew, you know, I've always had like really long hair, like I have now, thank God. And I came in one day with a bob and one of the girls that worked um, in the cafeteria as a cashier, she said, Oh, did you get your hair cut? And I literally did the bobblehead thing. Right, exactly. <laughs> I did. And exactly. it was a wig, you know, it was it was already a wig. Um, and then my hair just grew back like so fast also because I ended up getting okay. yeah, I ended up getting a longer um wig, a shape. Oh. <laughs> right. Which I loved. It was much more, I felt much more myself as opposed to the short one. And so um, at one point I just started wearing that. It felt more natural. And 
like, it was like my hair grew like, you know, four inches overnight, you know, and it was like, and nobody noticed, nobody noticed. So interesting. You know, people, people make a decision to share or not share their diagnoses based on so many factors. It's like almost like cost benefit analysis, right? You might choose not to share because you don't want your children to be asked, how's mom doing today? You might choose not to share because it would put your job at risk or because you don't want people to look at you in a way you would interpret as pitying. People choose to share because they want support. They want the advice from people who have been there before because they know people might notice differences or changes and things like that. And it's very personal and both are completely the right decision. Mm-hmm. And, and the interesting thing about it is just because you hide it from some doesn't mean you have to hide it from all. And just because you've told some people certain parts of the story doesn't mean you have to tell all people all parts of the story. Because when somebody's going through cancer, there is so much that feels out of control. But by and large, this is something you can control. And, and part of that is is that sense of control is something that's important to you. Um, And so everybody makes their own decisions and they can change their mind and, you know, and and they're all right decisions. Um, You know, we work with some women who, who, like you said, you know, you mentioned it in Russia, it's not spoken about. Even in parts of America and certain cultures, It's taboo. You don't talk about cancer. There are certain cultures that have different words for cancer just to not say the word cancer. You know, today we think it's out in the open. We talk about it. And, you know, the media talks about it and people as a rule don't hide it the way they used to. But there are still plenty of pockets and plenty of people and plenty of cultures where the culture is very different than mainstream American culture with regard to illness. So we have to remember and respect that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It it took me a long time to own it. Unfortunately. Yeah. I like what you said too, about the sense of control, because, you know, at one point early on in my diagnosis, I will say that it was early on, everyone around me ran around telling people like, you know, as soon as they met someone in the grocery store or walking down the street or, you know, wherever, if we, you know, oh my gosh. Yeah. Did you hear about, you know, my sister-in-law or did you hear about my wife or did you hear about my daughter-in-law? I was like, stop, <laughs> stop. Like if I want my whole community literally to know, like I will make an announcement, you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I will go on the PA and I will, you know, like I will tell everybody. I, I had to sit down because I didn't know how else to do this. I had to sit down and write a letter to my family members to say, please stop spreading the word as it would be, you know, (laughs) don't start spreading the word. (laughs) Um, You took control of the situation. Yeah. 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 Um, That's important. That is very important. Yes. Out of an abundance of love. That's what we call it. Yes. And I think truly, because first of all, I do think that it, um, when you tell someone a big I mean, I don't want to say secret, but if you, if you tell someone a big thing like this, they, it's too hard for them 
to absorb it themselves. They, they want to share it because they can't, they can't really hold on to all of it. You know, they, it's too big for them, you know, and they think that, well, if they share it with someone, then that person will be a support for them as well in order to like, say next time, how's your sister-in-law doing, you know, very insightful. Absolutely. Um, Cancer stirs difficult emotions in all of us, whether we're directly impacted or not, there's no doubt about it. But I think a lot of us, and of course, nobody wants to be in that position, but a lot of us still feel, you know, you mentioned that in old times you got a cancer diagnosis, it was like a death sentence, and that is just not the case anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so hopefully people will continue to absorb that message. Um, and for many, it becomes... Um, Um, like a chronic disease, like even those who have the worst of it, it can become like a chronic disease. And sure, people absolutely need support, but they don't need, you know, the, the sympathy that the worst, worst is coming, you know, like you had mentioned earlier. And sometimes that support is simply treating them as they had always treated that person. You know, they're still that person. They're still my friend, my spouse, my daughter, my neighbor, whatever it is. And surely people do need extra support now and again hundred percent, but they also just need to be treated like the person they were also. It's a balance. Yeah. Yeah. Just treating people just as they are truly. Um, And so I guess as we know, as we're in the holidays, what advice would you have besides enlisting either your spouse or a friend or your child to kind of change the situation, but how, what advice would you have to like try to control the situation in a way that you can participate in family holidays and still be part of the, you know, absolutely. You know, there it's not the same time of year, but I recall a story from one of our callers who was struggling unexpectedly She was doing really well from a physical standpoint, from an emotional standpoint. And then one morning she just woke up and she could barely get herself out of bed. And the oncologist couldn't see anything physically wrong with her that would account for the change in status. And she happened to be talking to one of the Charcheric clinicians, telling her about it. And the clinician very wisely said, what are you doing for Passover this year? Like it was that time of year. And she thought about it and said, huh, it's the first time in a decade I'm not hosting a Seder. And, you know, it doesn't matter what the holiday was. It could be Christmas, New Year's, Hanukkah, at Thanksgiving, any of them. And But she had been doing so well. She was almost able to make her treatments, like a, one of her to-do items that she could just check off. And somewhere in inside her, she realized that all of a sudden, oh my gosh, I really am sick. I can't host a Seder this year. That would be too much for me. Mm-hmm. So what did we do? We spoke with you know members of her family and we guided them so that she could host a Seder. 
So, you know, she had a group of, of amazing friends who came and prepared her house for the holiday and they cooked and they set the table and they served and she was able to join for the Seder and then go back and rest a little bit and then come back out and join again. And was it exactly the same? Of course not, but it was close enough that it felt right to her and she certainly felt the love. So the same can be done for any holiday. Are, you know, do you normally um, host a meal where you provide 20 types of cookies and six types of latkes and you do everything and it's your pride and joy? Maybe this year it can be a potluck. You still have it in your house, but maybe this year it's a potluck. Or maybe this year it's a dessert reception and you buy some stuff and you make a couple favorites with the help of, of children or partners or whatever it is. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be the same as it is always to feel like it's right, like it's what it should be. And, you know, you might even develop some new traditions that get carried on well beyond a cancer experience. And, you know, I know myself, I've had to do this. And, you know, we still, as we celebrate or prepare for certain things, laugh at the way we did it eight years ago or 25 years ago during either of my, you know, experiences. And, you know, it's not bad. It's not bad. It's actually, it's a reminder for all in my family. Look at how far we've come and how healthy we are. We're celebrating and, and we're celebrating the way we want to. And, and so that would really be my suggestion, rather than trying to do it all and then not being able to enjoy any of it because you're too tired, because, you know, you wore yourself out and now you have to be on hydration or just resting or whatever it is, find a way to make it meaningful with different tweaks that simplify it. Right. Because, the you know, sure, we all look forward to somebody's famous latkes or somebody's famous, you know, Yule log cake or whatever it is. But the reality is, if it's the same people and the latkes were store bought or catered, it's not going to make a difference. That's really not what it's about. And so if you let yourself kind of rethink it and rethink what's really important about it then hopefully there's a way that you can have just as meaningful a holiday experience, maybe even more meaningful because you've really narrowed down what's important and you're celebrating with loved ones, with friends and loved ones. So let me ask you this. I think that's, I, I think that's really poignant and to the point. A lot of times people do want to help. And like you had just mentioned about cleaning the house and cooking the food and preparing right. the table. And so a lot of times people do want to help. And this was something that also I got to experience. At one point, a lot of my girlfriends did rally and they, you know, came together, especially in the beginning. You know, the beginning is like fabulous. Everybody comes out of the woodwork. Everybody wants to be part of it. Everybody wants to help. You know, five minutes later, they've forgotten about you. You know, <laughs> and life for them goes back to normal, right? Okay. But for, you know, for the first, you know, five minutes, oh my gosh, this is horrible. And we, what can we do? So they start meal trains. Okay. And so what do you do to tell people nicely? <laughs> Like, I so appreciate you wanting to help, 
but I'm tired of pasta <laughs> or, <laughs> or, um, I just don't eat things that are fried till they're black. You know what I mean? I mean, I like, how do you, I mean, I don't, whatever it is, right. Or, you know, we keep kosher in our house or, um, we're vegetarian or, we're vegetarian. or somebody's gluten intolerant or whatever right. it is. Right. So how do you tell people right nicely? Like, I so appreciate what you are wanting to do for me and, and here's how you can do it. Right. So I've seen a lot of meal trains or take them a meals or whatever, whatever format people are using lately, certainly more in recent times where the instructions are really very clear and it's not the family that's asking for it. It's the girlfriends that rally and design this, you know, it's um, please, please know that one person in this house is allergic to fish and they prefer not fried foods. And, and if you see a lot of pasta in the date you're signing up for, please, you know, they could really benefit some, from some fresh fruits and vegetables or whatever it is. And because it's not you asking, like everybody has one person that they can say, I can't eat another baked ZD. Please write that on the thing. <laughs> and so, you know, so yeah. if a friend is saying like, they've had four baked ZDs in the last week, please try for some, for something other than, you know, pasta, that's an easy way to do it because somebody else is making this. Look, it's so hard for all of us to ask on behalf of ourselves, which is why when we're talking to people about how to, how to support a community member or a loved one facing illness, you know, we say, you know, ask, but don't be upset if the answer is no. They may have a freezer that's already been stocked. They may be immunocompromised and can't take a visit. They may love to go out for coffee, but they just don't have the energy right now. So I, I think that there has to be an attitude shift around, with people around us a little bit to understand that we know that you want to help and and this is the best way to help, you know. I, I often say when I'm speaking, the worst thing you can do is say, what can I do to help? Because nobody wants to ask for help. And so I say the best thing to do is to say, I've made you a meal. I'd like to drop it off on Thursday if that works for you, but it can go right into the freezer. And, and that way nobody has to ask. And then somebody at one of my, a more recent presentation said, I felt the exact opposite way. I wanted somebody to ask. I didn't want them to just do. It felt like too much pressure to be grateful and things like that. So I guess everybody is individual in their needs, but I would suggest a compromise, which is, uh, you know, I'm actually doing a lot of cooking for the holiday over this weekend. I'm going to make you a couple of things. Tell me what would, you know, what can you eat these days? What would, what would your kids love? Whatever it is. So that way somebody doesn't get another baked CD, mm -hmm. um, but I'm going to do it anyway. You might as well tell me, you know, what, what you would really enjoy. You know, I, I understand that you can't eat everything these days, you know, the treatment may have made certain things taste like cardboard or the doctor specifically said not this or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So I, I think the best way is to, to have somebody take it over. And that way you're not the person asking. And most people have someone who is willing to do this. 
And the other thing is a lot of these websites, not only can you sign up to do meals, but there are options to sign up to carpool children or go to the grocery store or whatever it is. And there are options to update people on someone's health. So it doesn't have to be you, but you know, it, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but it can be exhausting to answer 20 text messages over the course of the day. How are you doing? So if a couple of times a week, somebody updates it, whether it's the person who's ill or a partner or a friend and say, you know, so-and-so came out of surgery. Great. She's resting. She's home. You know, she, I, I think by next week, she'd love a few phone calls, but for now we're just hibernating, you know, that way you don't have to answer that 20 times um, as the person going through it, but everybody feels like, okay, I, I, I'm so glad she's doing well. And I'm going to make myself a reminder to send her, you know, an email next week. Actually, the best thing to do even for someone who's doing that kind of support is to send the text message or send an email and just end it with, I just wanted you to know I was thinking about you. No need to respond if you're not up to it and just leave it at that. That way people don't have to feel like they need to thank everybody for their message. That is a pro move right there. Right. I was going to say, sometimes it felt like summoning the energy of the entire world to respond to one, not to 20, but just to one, because I mean, honestly, I I had, I had the loftiest of goals. I was like, I'm going to, you know, write every single day. I'm going to write what's happening to me. I'm, I'm going to keep like a log, a record, a but, 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 you know, like, you know, for posterity and for later, just in case I want to like reread it and relive all this misery. Right. But actually the truth of the matter was that I could hardly put like two words together. I could hardly like say my name. I was I, like, you want me, you want me to say what? Like the words leave you. This fog comes in. Body treatments, that's actually a physical manifestation of treatments. It's not just exhaustion. The chemicals that are are ridding your body of cancer can have that kind of impact depending on the treatment and a person's reaction. Absolutely. Right. That fog just came in and I was like, I'm going to write what? (laughs) I'm like, I'm "I'm not writing anything. I'm I'm like barely sitting here and breathing, you know, and um, open your eyes and watch TV even. Yeah, I can't tell you anything that I saw or did, or I know I didn't read anything during that time. I mean, I mean, if unless it was like related to um, cancer and well-being and recovery. Actually, I don't even, you know, during treatment, I don't even think I read anything. No, that's not true. During treatment, I read the Gerson protocol, which, uh, yeah, there it is, the Gerson therapy. So it's, uh, yeah. During, during, during treatment, I read about, you know, what should I be eating? The whole food guide for breast cancer survivors. I read, um, after cancer care, I read, I'm just kind of like looking at some of the books on my shelf and thinking, what did I, oh, anti-cancer, um, uh, diet. A new way of life. Yeah. By I, think I David, read that too. Somebody gave it to me. <laughs> right. By David Serban Schreiber. Yes. Um, I, I remember I, I, yeah. So there were just like a few things that I read, but it was literally like, oh, Gerson says I should juice 14 times a day. Guess what I was doing? I was juicing 14 times a day. And by the time I 
you know, prepped the food, juiced it, drank it and cleaned the machine, I was done. I, that took a whole hour right there. And then I like, like wait 10 minutes and do it all over again. You know, So it's like, I literally like to respond to one person during that time was like, I have to, I have to um, like put two thoughts together and succinctly somehow answer this person in a way that makes some kind of sense when it reaches them on the other end of the line. Like it was, uh, it, it was a lot. It was a lot. You know, the good thing is that whether the issue is celebrating a holiday or figuring out how to talk to your children or, or any number of the, the concerns that come up that are not medical during a cancer experience, there are people likely in your community that are willing to share what got them through. And there are organizations out there like Sharsharet that, you know, at no cost, you can talk to a social worker and that social worker one day might just listen to you vent. You need to vent without burdening a caregiver. Another time might connect you to resources for yourself, your spouse, your children, you know, another time might help you brainstorm ways to be able to celebrate and make a holiday meaningful, whatever it is. And like I said at the start, emotional, spiritual, all of these things, they're part of the experience. They're part of the healing. I personally believe a healing isn't complete unless you've healed physically, emotionally, spiritually, very often I hear people say, well, that's not as important now. Right now, I'm just dealing with the treatment. And some people have to do it sequentially. It depends on a lot of factors. Some people can do it at the same time. But these aren't the little things. Often I'll hear like, oh, I, I don't need a wig. That's just, you know, hair loss is nothing compared to getting rid of cancer. Or, you know, we, we laughed about needing blush. But the way you present yourself is the way you feel and the way you feel becomes, you know, energy to, to deal with what you're going through. So these aren't the little things, these things around the actual diagnosis and treatment aren't the little things. They're a part of the whole cancer experience. And there are people here everywhere. You know, there are people who can help you with that, right? You go to your oncologist to deal with the physical aspects of cancer. You go to a friend, a clergy member, a social worker from Sharsharat, whatever it is, to deal with the, the emotional aspects. Um, and, and that's appropriate. That, that's appropriate, it's necessary, and it's not the little things. It's, it's part of the experience. It's true, it's not the little things. I will tell you that I think within days of being diagnosed, my mother and I went to Nordstrom and I kid you not, I left with like a ginormous bag of just makeup. Okay. And that's not like I didn't have any. Okay. It's right, just right, that right. I was like not obsessed with it in the way that I became obsessed with it. And, and uh, I don't even know, I think it was like, even before I'd had the surgery, before I'd started treatment, before anything, I was like, screw this. <sighs> You know, you were girding yourself, right? Myself, right. And how does a girl gird herself with tons of makeup? You know, so like I went out and just, I don't even know. I, I, I think at the time and the, at the time, like, and also I just want to make the point that like, as we learn 
more we do better, right? So at the time I didn't know, but I went to Nordstrom and I loaded up on Bobby Brown and who knows what other brands, I mean, Lancome and, you know, whatever. And um, I, I since, I since then like won't touch that stuff. Like I, I don't, I don't shop really um, at department stores anymore for my makeup. I, I have now gone into like more clean makeup and, you know, I, I look at certain websites and databases to make yeah. sure, you know, and things like that. But, but I didn't know about that back then. I learned about that later. And so I just want to make the point of like, you know, you don't have to do everything perfectly all at once. You, you can, you can do as best as you know, as you go. Okay. Um, but I think you touched on something really important here, right? And that is the spirituality piece of it. And especially at this time of year. So I, I just kind of want to touch on that spirituality part, because one of the other things that I did, like, I don't know, I don't know what I did first, you know, I mean, it all kind of like, it seems like it all happened in one day, right? Like, okay, I got like diagnosed. And then I went to see my rabbi. And then from the rabbi, I went to Nordstrom, you know, like something <laughs> like this, right? In that um, order. <laughs> in that order. I mean, you know, so um, truly, I wanted some kind of blessing. I, I, I needed to feel spiritually connected in a way that I had never felt before. And I, all my life have been kind of a, a, a spiritually connected person. I've always felt that like, I didn't need, you know, to specially go to a synagogue to pray. I could just pray in my car if I needed to. Right. I, I just want to kind of touch on the spirituality thing because I feel like it's really important that whatever we, you know, whatever our religion, I, I feel like we, need to find a way to be connected to something greater than us, whether you call it God or you call it Hashem or you call it the universe or whatever, you know? Spirituality is definitely not only the realm of organized religion. And that's why I say, I use the word spirituality as opposed to faith or God. For some, spirituality is, is getting a blessing from a rabbi. For some, it's making sure they're in, in church every single week or several times a week. So, you know, some people do that for synagogue as well, um, or taking on a higher level of traditional observance, whatever that is, sort of as a, a, a barter for a positive outcome. Um, and for other people, they can sit on the ground and meditate and they feel a part of the universe. Whatever it is, though, when you're dealing with a life altering, however one deals with it, when you're dealing with a life altering diagnosis, you tend to ask the bigger questions. OK, what does this mean? What is my role in this world? What am I supposed to be doing? Why did this happen to me? What am I supposed to learn from it? All sorts of questions like that. It's important to look for those answers whenever you're comfortable doing them. If those are questions you have, then very often there's comfort in those answers. Um, there is a, a there is a, a subset of people that are angry at the diagnosis mm. and and almost pull away without even realizing it. The first time I was diagnosed, I was. I was, I had babies. I was young and my mother brought in a rabbi to offer me a blessing. 
and I stayed connected and, and really benefited from that. The second time without even realizing it, I pulled away. I pulled away. I was so angry. I was dealing with it again. I pulled away and I'm eight years out and still sort of trying to get back to where I was spiritually. Had I realized, had I realized that was, you know, what was happening, I may have handled differently, but that's normal for some people too. Um, the only thing I would say is, listen, nobody has to be religious or spiritual in 2021 America. So if they had a connection previously, it was because they they were getting something from it. They were benefiting from it. And so it's really sad to lose a source of support that you had while you're going through what potentially could be, you know, one of the worst experiences of your life. And, and so... I like to, when I, I mentioned I train clergy, so I, I mentioned that to be on the lookout because, because if somebody benefits on a regular day, they'll benefit possibly even more when they're going through such a, such a difficult circumstance. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think it makes me think back to that, you know, some people refer to um, difficult situations in their life as the dark night of the soul. Right. And I, I, I can probably like look back and think of a few moments where God and I had some serious powwows, you know, there was crying and tantruming and all kinds of, yeah. But I, I think that there was also kind of a peace that set in afterwards. And it also kind of makes me think of like when Isaac wrestled with the angel, it brings up those feelings where I was like, yeah, this was me wrestling with and that's okay. Like, yeah. if this is, you know, if this is something that's important to you, it's okay to be wrestling with with what's going on or or angry at God. The point is to stay in a conversation. If that's important yeah. to you, stay in the conversation. You know, parents and children love each other. That doesn't mean they don't fight, but they don't stop talking in healthy relationships. They Correct. fight in healthy relationships. They don't stop talking. And there was the same thing here. You can be angry as all, you know, get, all out. get out. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's okay. As long as you're yelling and, and doing something about it, talking about it, um, you know, stay in that conversation. Just don't shut whatever you, you were using as comfort as, or as your relate or your relationship with spirituality out. That's, that's the important thing. If, that was something that was part of your life beforehand. Melissa, what are you grateful for? I am grateful for, I'm grateful for, I, I should know this off the top of my head, shouldn't I? Um, you know what? I'm grateful for so much. I'm grateful that more than 25 years after my first diagnosis, I am alive and thriving and, and um, have made a mark in the world in terms of helping people who have been through what I've been through. And that feels sort of, it feels as if it was meant to be, you know, I didn't, st I wasn't working for Sharsheret before my breast cancer diagnosis. I was doing similar work for other organizations, but not for Sharsherit. And to be able to go out and not only share a professional 
perspective, but to say, when we have cancer, like it makes it more accessible to people. And so I guess maybe that, you know, what am I supposed to do with this? You said, maybe this was what I was supposed to do with it. And, and if we educate enough people, then we can save lives. And that, that means anything. I'm great. I really am grateful for the opportunity to be able to do this and for my friends and family that helped me get through each time. And yeah. And would you say that like gratitude or having an attitude of gratitude or a sense of gratitude is definitely bolstering both to your just your well-being your sense of happiness your sense of I guess your sense of well-being and on like on a daily basis just to bolster your immune system and and you as a human being right absolutely you know there is little we can do about what happens to us what we can do is is manage how we react to what happens to us and um, that makes all the difference. That really does. It's, it, you know, it's not that we shouldn't get mad. We're allowed to get mad, but we still have to remember that there are, even in the worst circumstances, moments of gratitude, things to be grateful for. And remembering that slowly, if you do that on a daily basis, it slowly changes your attitude. And, you know, attitude, it goes a long way in helping to heal when you're, when you've been dealt this hand and, um, and there is healing, there's healing afterward. I, I talk to women every day who are five months, five years, 25 years out of, out of their cancer experience living wonderful lives and and um that is something to be very grateful for true all right i have one last question for you okay what does a life well lived mean to you being true to yourself a hundred percent being true to yourself and what i'm learning as i as I, I just had a birthday and I am solidly in my 50s now. Happy and, birthday. Um, thank you. And um, what I'm realizing now is that what being true to yourself in your 20s, in your 30s, in your 40s, and in your 50s, that could be different every decade. And sometimes it takes a um, little deep thought to kind of even figure out what, what being true to yourself is. But I feel like we're happiest when we do that. And that is life well lived. Thank you so much. 100%. This was wonderful. I hope you've laughed. I hope you've learned. I hope you found something of meaning here today. I send you healing strength, and I'm grateful for you. You've been listening to the Life Well Lived podcast. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and share it with your friends so they can benefit too. Check out the show notes and connect with me on social media. And please don't forget to rate and review the podcast. Peace and love. Until next time.